a sentiment such as I felt always around within me by her large and luminous orbs. Yet not the more could I define that sentiment, or analyse, or even steadily view it. I recognised it, let me repeat, sometimes in the survey of a rapidly growing vine, in the contemplation of a moth, a butterfly, a chrysalis, a stream of running water. I have felt it in the ocean, in the falling of a meteor. I have felt it in the glances of unusually aged people. And there are one or two stars in heaven, one especially, a star of the sixth magnitude, double and changeable, to be found near the large star in Lyra, in a telescopic scrutiny of which I have been made aware of the feeling. I have been filled with it by certain sounds from stringed instruments, and not infrequently by passages from books. Among innumerable other instances, I well remember something in a volume of Joseph Glanville, which, perhaps merely from its quaintness, who shall say, never failed to inspire me with the sentiment, and the will therein lieth, which dieth not. Who knoweth the mysteries of the will, with its vigour? For God is but a great will pervading all things by nature of its intentness. Man does not yield him to the angels, nor unto death utterly, save only through the weakness of his feeble will. Length of years and subsequent reflection have enabled me to trace, indeed, some remote connection between this passage in the English moralist and a portion of the character of Ligeia, an intensity in thought, action, or speech, was possibly in her a result, or at least an index, of that gigantic volition which, during our long intercourse, failed to give other and more immediate evidence of its existence. Of all the women whom I have ever known, she, the outwardly calm, the ever-placid Ligeia, was the most violently a prey to the tumultuous vultures of stern passion, and of such passion I could form no estimate, save by the miraculous expansion of those eyes, which at once so delighted and appalled me, by the almost magical melody, modulation, distinctness, and placidity of her very low voice, and by the fierce energy rendered doubly effective by contrast with her manner of utterance, of the wild words which she habitually uttered. I have spoken of the learning of Ligeia. It was immense, such as I have never known in woman. In the classical tongues was she deeply proficient, and as far as my own acquaintance extended in regard to the modern dialects of Europe, I have never known her at fault. Indeed, upon any theme of the most admired, because simply the most abstruse, of the boasted erudition of the Academy, have I ever found Ligeia at fault. How singularly, how thrillingly, this one point in the nature of my wife has forced itself, at this late period only, upon my attention. I said her knowledge was such as I have never known in woman, but where breathes the man who has traversed and successfully, all the wide areas of moral, physical, and mathematical science, I saw not then, 
what I now clearly perceive, that the acquisitions of Ligeia were gigantic, were astounding, yet I was sufficiently aware of her infinite supremacy to resign myself, with a childlike confidence, to her guidance through the chaotic world of metaphysical investigation, at which I was most busily occupied during the earlier years of our marriage. With how vast a triumph, with how vivid a delight, with how much of all that is ethereal in hope, did I feel, as she bent over me in studies but little sought, but less known, that delicious vista, by slow degrees expanding before me, down whose long, gorgeous, and all untrodden path I might at length pass onward to the goal of a wisdom too divinely precious not to be forbidden.' 